0: Glad you could make it to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout and sass, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. I'm so excited to share this episode with you today with one of my very good friends, Kate Hollis. Kate and I met through the universe. We both had signed up through a mutual friend to do some writing and went on a writing retreat together. And from there, our friendship has just blossomed. Kate is an amazing woman of STEM as well. She's all thanks book. I've worked with her. If you've got on the Burnt Out to Badass website and you've gotten my cool fortune teller, that was Kate who invented it. She's a conversion copywriter. She specializes in emails and quizzes, and she is one of my very good friends. So I can't wait to share this conversation with you all today, where we're going to talk about neurodiversity and trauma and how they show up in the world for ourselves, for our patients and the people around us.
1: Lady, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Erin, thanks for having me. I'm like super excited. Also just to catch up with you. It's been a while.
0: Absolutely. You know, my goal in 2023 as I'm podcasting is... Less about like trying to get like big names or certain topics, but it's really about like finding the people I want to talk to. And so I'm so glad when we were chitty chatting through Instagram and I was like, you know what? Like we need to record some of this. So thanks for coming today,
1: friend. Yeah, I'm excited.
0: All right. So tell about yourself and the magic you're putting out into the world to all my podcast guests who don't know you yet.
1: So I am a conversion copywriter and my path to get here was a little roundabout uh, in the best way like if you were to look at my LinkedIn profile you would say like eclectic is an understatement <laughs> but I'm just a non-linear thinker and so as I've kind of meandered through my career I just always stayed open to opportunities that made me curious and so I've worked for many different industries so many different kinds of roles, And when I was like in my late 20s, kind of unexpectedly found myself working in corporate HR, which was one of those situations where I was really good at the job, but the job was not good for me. And I burned out hard a year after my son was born and I went back to work because I went back to work like 10 weeks postpartum, really struggling with postpartum depression. And then it just kind of all the bottom fell out after a while. And so after taking some time off and thinking about getting back into the corporate world, I was interviewing for jobs and then just had this like snap moment of clarity where I was like, I don't want this anymore. It reminds me of a conversation you and I had when you were, I think, having like a check in interview with one of your new managers, like went in your first medical role. And you were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do this for 30 years. (laughs) It's just one of those moments where like the truth just comes crashing down. And it's like, I don't want this to be my life anymore. And so I found my way back to writing, which has always been a part of my life, both personally and professionally. And I've been in business three years, found my footing, found my niche. And as I've kind of worked through my own mental health, kind of understanding my own neurodiversity, I started to realize the extent to which not only that it impacts my business, but makes it better and also impacts the way that I experience being sold to by other businesses. And, you know, as you say, like, we're in a kind of this moment where people are craving meaningful connection, deeper knowledge and expertise. And so this has kind of become a focus of my work now, helping people to segment their audiences, to understand their clients in a deeper, more meaningful way, and to grow their businesses with integrity.
0: Yeah, I love that. Explain a little bit more because you're talking to a room full of doctors what a conversion copywriter is and does.
1: Yeah. So a conversion copywriter specializes in writing that is intended to inspire a specific action. So whether it is a sales page intended to sell a particular product, it guides the reader on a journey toward the buy button. If you are engaging with some kind of free resource on somebody's website in exchange for giving your email address. That's another example. So for the most part, my clients are online business owners, but really kind of my approach is actually relevant to all areas of my life. I just happen to find a a way to do it (laughs) for money. (laughs) Exactly. Well,
0: I really want to jump into the neurodiversity neurodivergent piece because again you're talking to a room full of doctors <laughs> and mm-hmm. we are we i mean we are i would say I'm a, there there is no like normal in the room and if you are normal you're not a doctor so yep. <laughs> talk a little bit about your journey with that and how you could see that show up in you know our lives
1: yeah i mean it's a term that i've started to see more widely used in the world And to me, like that reflects kind of a broader awakening to this idea that there, there is not just one way that a brain works. And so, you know, neurodiversity, you know, can be used as a label, but really, I just think of it as a framework to recognize that there is not just one way to receive and process information. And that's a good thing. And, you know, in my own life, I, It's not that I resisted recognizing how it applied to me, but I don't think I made the connection until I realized just how broadly defined neurodiversity can be and that it's actually a really helpful term in accepting kind of what makes you unique and the strengths that are inherent with having a brain that just works a little bit differently. So personally, like I have challenges with sensory processing. So like my nervous system is dialed up to 11 all the time. And it makes me really good at what I do because I can notice like really small nuances in facial expressions, tone changes, and be able to kind of connect with and channel somebody's voice and writing really well. And I also have non-neurotypical husband too, who has so many like deep varied interests and has a harder time with social situations in a way that I'm very protective of, because he is one of the dearest, smartest, kindest people I know. And I want everybody to see like what makes him so amazing. And I think that there's just more room for that kind of compassion in the world in general, not only to see what is different, but like what is beautiful about it.
0: Yeah, I love it because it really is describing like what truly are superpowers. Mm -hmm. So many times we look at things like, oh, I wish I wasn't so fill in the blank or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm too, again, fill in the blank with whatever whatever it is. But like you said, if you think about it and you think about it from really a scientific perspective, it's like, No, there's some reasons why some people go, like, for instance, into research, because that's Mm -hmm. just how their brain processes with numbers and, and like that sort of thing. And then there's a reason why some people become psychiatrists and love to talk and, you know, never lay hands on a patient versus, you know, maybe a surgeon who, you know what I mean? So I think it is really important to recognize, but I also think it's, super important for us to recognize too for the people around us. Mm And that's one thing for me is like remembering like how my brain thinks, probably nobody else in the room has is this it is, of course, they're not the same. We Mm -hmm. hopefully have some similarities and we have good enough communication styles that we can communicate well. But that's been become very evident the more teaching I do. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll say it how I understand it. And not everybody
1: will always get that. Yeah. And there are definite social norms at play. And in the business community, and I'm sure you've seen in the coaching community, especially, you know, there are certain like paths that people recommend for mindset work in particular, and how to think about things, and how to build habits and achieve goals. And those frameworks don't work for everybody. And You know, for somebody who, you know, maybe has ADHD, it can be really frustrating to try to kind of take this quote proven method and make it work for them. And to just not only be frustrated that it's not working, but just to be frustrated that it's supposed to work and that it works for so many other people when really a more nuanced understanding of how they uniquely operate is actually going to be way more effective. And then once that is recognized and acted upon, then you can start to see what is really cool about an ADHD brain. Nonlinear thinking is a good thing. The kind of spontaneous creativity that you can get from somebody whose brain kind of processes a little bit differently as a writer is super cool. Like, I just love partnering with people whose minds are a little bit more rapid firing because it can get you content and results that you wouldn't really get if you kind of stuck to a a more regimented approach. And so I build, like, as part of my new client process, like an accommodation conversation without calling it that so much. Like, okay, tell me how you work. Tell me how you think. This is typically how I work. But we can also flex here, here, and here. What do you think? And it's kind of meeting the person halfway. And I imagine it's the same in medicine too, you know, recognizing that no two people's needs are the same.
0: And then also not calling disease when it's just a nuance difference. Oh, yeah. You know I what mean, I mean? I, like, oh yeah. I, just the other day, I was in a room with a gal and super hyper-talkative and I'm like, what's going on here? But <laughs> as I've got to know her, I'm like, oh, that's just her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and instead of always looking for disease, just kind of like, just observing. I think that's when I had two thoughts as you were talking. The first one was you described me with every nonfiction book that is, like, more than 150 pages. Like, I read through those. <laughs> I, I I, read actually, I'll be honest. I read the beginning and the end, and then I, like, skim the middle. Because, like you're saying, like, this is how it's supposed to work. And I'm like, eh, it's not, this does not describe me at all. Or how what is going to work for me? And the second thought was... You asking people, how do you think? How do you work? We almost lie to ourselves sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. we give an answer because I've had to learn that. I'm like, oh, I'm very methodical, da 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 And then I've had to go back and be like, no, actually, I'm not on some things. Some things I am, mm-hmm. but on other things, I'm all over the place. Yeah. And it's almost like pulling your own blinders off and seeing it for what it really is Because when we stop trying to force ourselves into a box that's not us, for me, it's been really freeing and opening to be like, oh, there's my brain doing that thing again.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the same with like a mental health diagnosis too, you know, my understanding as like a mental health client who like works with different practitioners in that world is that there's a movement away from really focusing on a diagnosis because ultimately it's not super helpful. Like for insurance, hopefully you move past the major severe depression. Yep. And you know, it's like, sure, you have like your insurance billing codes and things like that. But really, like a label doesn't actually help anybody, it's just a frame of reference. And if there's stigma attached to it, then I mean, number one, it's misplaced, but second, it's not serving anybody because it can be really limiting. And you know, there's a lot of colloquial language out there, like, oh, I'm being so ADHD today, or gosh, that was traumatic. And I think sometimes we can like lose sight of the fact that there actually are like behavioral and cognitive like functions behind those more casual terms and that you don't have to have a diagnosis to relate to it. Like we all have moments where we feel scattered and ADHD diagnosis or not, depending on where you are in that moment, you're going to experience the world around you through a specific lens. And if there was a wider understanding of what that meant, I think it would really change the way we related to each other.
0: I love that. I usually talk about labels. Like, you know, when you, we all used to go to conferences and we get those stickers that are names mm-hmm. on them. I remind people that like those can come off and be put back on, thrown away, written a new one all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. You
0: know, it's, a, it's like giving ourselves that freedom with that because I see so much in my clinical work. People get really married to their diagnosis.
2: Mm-hmm. And what I
0: tell my students and my learners is a diagnosis in our world is just a guess. We hope that it's a really like ninety nine point nine percent accurate guess, mm-hmm. but it's a hypothesis. It's saying, like, if this patient is presenting like this, then this is likely what she has or likely what's going to happen or what we need to manage. And I'm all the time reminding people that, like, the list that we keep on people, problem medical history, like, yeah, it's nice to remember what's in the past mm-hmm. and, you know, like, file it away, but not, like, drudge it through, to the future as well. So I'm all about always like cleaning those lists up and reminding myself, like, yep, we can put it in the past medical history list, but th- they don't have to bring it with them in their current, which mm-hmm. I think helps moving forward in their future as well.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that also gives room for the individual or the patient to invoke it in a way that's really intentional and empowered. So, you know, in my own experience, like having a diagnosis of complex trauma for the longest time, when I first like realized, Oh, like, this is a, this is a thing. I was like, I did not want that written anywhere because I was like, I don't want to be perceived in a certain way, but as I've sort of worked through it now, I'm like, I want people to know because it makes sure that the person who's giving care to me Like, kind of puts on the trauma informed lens. Ideally, they don't have to be reminded to do that and that it's given for everybody, but you know, it's not the reality is. And so, if I'm getting some kind of physical exam, I'm always like, oh, like, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. And I can do it in a way that gives me the tools to advocate for myself. And then I can put it back down in a way that isn't defining who I am, but gives me the self knowledge to say what I need.
0: I had a lot of shame around when I was diagnosed with the word that rhymes with fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I would tell people, you know, I'm like, it's the word that rhymes with, but you're hundred percent right. Like I don't have to be a fibromyalgia patient every second of every single day. Yesterday I showed up as Dr. Wiseman and today I'm showing up as Erin, lady boss. And, you know, tomorrow I'll be Erin in a meeting and then Dr. Wiseman. I don't have to wear that fibromyalgia label on my outside. Yeah. And like you said, you can put it on and take it off when appropriate. And when you need someone to look at you in that lens, but I don't want it like tattooed across my forehead for the rest of my
1: life. I said those exact words (laughs) to my therapist years ago. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Like when you realize that sometimes this kind of big, scary term can apply to you. But once you wrap your head around what it means in general, what it means to you, then it's just kind of something that falls into line with all of the other defining characteristics about yourself.
0: When we were messaging back and forth about this topic that you've really taken in and embraced and really trying to live out into the world, you mentioned how you've been really following how neurodiversity and trauma show up in the business sense, but really like in the world around us sense. Can Mm -hmm. you give us a more clear picture on your work around
1: that and what you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, I think... In the entrepreneur community, but also just more widely in the world, especially as it comes to conversations surrounding women's bodies, that there is conversation around like the ethical and moral implications of selling things. And that there is a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And what originally was like right and wrong in terms of sales dollars, now it's A little bit deeper um, in terms of like, are you doing right by people? And are you doing right by your business and doing so? Because for me, I'm a big believer that in doing right by your clients, you're ultimately doing right by your business. They're not mutually exclusive at all. And there are a lot of people, consumers or business owners calling out things that they're seeing that are problematic. And it's causing some uncomfortable dialogue. I think within the marketing world, because especially when it comes to pain point marketing, the idea that, you know, everybody has challenges and struggles, how can you connect with that and offer some kind of relief? And, you know, I'm realizing as I'm saying that there's so much crossover with I think the the terminology that you're using in a medical context too. You know, there's like this minimalist tendency to see people only as a problem or only as a symptom. And now people are recognizing that that's what's happening. And they're saying, actually, no, like I am not just this thing. There's so much more to me. And I want you to engage with my whole person and not just this particular problem or pain point that I have.
0: I think that's beautiful. You know, I've seen that evolve in my own business, in my own life. You know, I do whole person care as a primary care doctor from cradle to grave. So, of course, I love people in their messy fullness. And that was one thing, too, in my my business as, as well, is, like, I don't want to just, like, suck dollars off of people who are in a bad place. I want to offer them support and compassion and safety, in addition to Aaron Sass and podcasts and, you know, yes, all the other things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dr.
0: Aaron freaking Weissman. <laughs> That's right. And how... How does that look differently than the Google ad that pops up in the middle of whatever you're doing? Mm
2: -hmm. You know what I
0: mean? And I think that's, I think it is so important because yes, we're busy. Everybody is busy. But where are we skimming off and not valuing people? Yeah. You know, as whole people.
1: And it becomes, you know, about something so much more than. You know, somebody like somebody who's trying to sell a service is saying, "I want to help people." I don't think anybody goes into their line of work saying that they don't want to help other people because there are so many different ways to do it. But there are ways that you can sell things that you know not only are ineffective but can actively harm people. Boom. And ultimately, it's going to harm your ability to do your job well if you're not keeping this broader perspective on the intricacies of like human behavior and motivation. So, I mean, something that I see, there's so many custom customized ads that we get on social media, right? And so based on things that I'm searching for personally, all of the demographic information that the internet knows about me, I get all kinds of products marketed toward young mothers. (laughs) And sometimes I just read them and I'm like, ugh, you know, it's like, reminding me like I know I'm tired. I know I'm tired. Like I have a five year old. Of course I'm tired. <laughs> and you know, I'm coming from a place where I already have a complicated relationship with my body. If you're gonna kind of keep piling on that, it's gonna make me feel worse. And if I do end up working with you, buying what you're selling, I'm not necessarily going to feel good about it because I kind of came into the relationship from this place of shame or fear. And I might not even, once I buy what you have to sell me, even use it because it just didn't, I didn't feel like I had total agency in coming into the purchase.
0: Yeah. Because instead of coming from a place of like, What I call wholehearted buying, like the hell yes. Yeah. They were like, I just want to, I just want to feel better. And maybe this, you know, if I spend these dollars on these things, I'll get the like mini dopamine kick. I'll be like, yes, I'm really helping myself. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that, you know, I've been coaching now since 2014. So almost 10 years. And so I've seen this, how it's changed. And like some of the big people who have gotten big names, you know, really, pitching people, really selling off of a fear model. Definitely there's like some shaming once people get into whatever it's coaching one-on-one group. Like if they don't get to that point, it's something wrong with them. It's their thoughts. It's their lack of whatever, fill in the blank. And I don't like that. That feels nasty to me. Just straight up, yucky, nasty. And I think a lot of us are just like fed up with it. Just Like you said, just scrolling on the internet, there's things that I come across and I'm like, who the fuck wrote this? This is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Take it down immediately. I report things all the time.
1: Oh, I do too. I do too. And sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But I hope that whoever put it up gets the feedback that this is my experience of what you're putting into the world and it is not what you intended. Yeah. And it's been interesting for me to
2: see,
0: especially around coaches, some of the people who are like small, medium-sized fish if they as they have grown and gotten bigger, seeing how that has changed, like their messaging and what is at their heart, it becomes more about dollars and numbers rather than that, I just want to help one more, you know, the starfish model as you're walking along the beach. And I'm really glad that you're doing this work because I get it. Like money makes things easier in life, but it's like, how are you obtaining that? and I think it's really important too. And there's there's a lot more talk around, you know, in coaching we get into some pretty intimate conversations and talking about some details. And I'm not gonna like name any specific models, but there's a very popular model out there that pretty much says, you know, If you want to change your circumstances, you have to change your thoughts and feelings. And I push back on that so hard because I'm like, your fucking brain. Like, how do you go in and neurosurgically change your
1: neurobiology Mm -hmm. that it's totally inaccurate? And it doesn't. Not in the way that they're trying to tell you, you can.
0: And it's not. It's a model that doesn't take in that whole person approach. It's not trauma informed. You know, when you're telling people, well, you just need to think differently about this. Well, I'm sorry, but we are still trying to figure out all the mechanisms in your limbic system and your brainstem on where trauma resides Mm -hmm. after it's been inflicted to you. And we know that that's residual for the rest of your life. Now, it may not show up the same. It may be different. And you can do a lot of work around that with therapists and medication and all the things. But just to tell people, like, you just have to change your thoughts is so inappropriate. Yeah,
1: Because
0: just as the heart beats, the brain has thoughts just is what it is. And so I really love this approach that you're doing. How else do you see this showing up from from your experience? You said you get a lot of the young mother ads. How about
1: like with social norms? The thing that comes to mind first is like my experience as a parent and thinking about how, you know, my son who is five is having a totally different experience in school than I did in terms of, acknowledgement appreciation and respect of difference and so you know what was identified for us as being you know poor social behavior is now acknowledged for what it is it's a trait and it is not wrong it's just different and when you know when it comes to social norms you know people get like really worked up about eye contact and it's like if you are not looking me in the eyes then I cannot trust you I cannot take you seriously and sometimes I mean, eye contact is really hard, you know, like because you, yeah, and you or your mind's going a million miles an hour and you just can't focus on all the different things or you have anxiety. And so I see that as you know people recognizing that there are different ways to engage rather than just i mean, even just video, like I love the growth of the podcast industry being expertise based and having meaningful, deep conversations that allow people to be in their zone of genius. Yeah, we can just show up, messy here, don't care, no brawl Tuesday,
0: (laughs) and uh, still have great conversation and put it out to the world. You know, from my experience with social norms, it really has felt like being a round peg in a square hole, both in that like elementary, and I think this is just being socialized as a woman in the Midwest you know, being quiet, getting your work done, helping other people. But I really found it with social norms when I was a student, like how as a female appearing medical student, I was supposed to appear and act compared to my male counterparts. Even though now going through exploration, you know, my pronouns are she, they, and and I truly am a she, they. Mm -hmm. And why that felt so discongruent like that, you know, I supposed to be sweet and kind of stuck up and I should speak up, but not too loud because then I'm pushy. And that, you know, just a lot of those social normings in medicine as well, that why it felt so yucky at times was because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to show up in in my uniqueness and in my mm-hmm. differentness for fear of not getting the grades I needed, for not getting the letters of recommendation so that I can move on to the Mm -hmm. next. You know what I mean? Like we had to like play these chameleon roles, which I have a friend who she talks about the fuck it forties and fifties. Like that's the point in your life when you're just like, fuck it. I just, I'm going (laughs) to do me that. I'm glad to see that there's a more colorful and expandedness of social norms, but it's still there.
1: Yeah. People have a hard time with it, especially in the writing world when it comes to pronouns. Like from my perspective, Grammar is a social construct. And so if people get like really confused about verb agreements and pronoun differences. It's not about language. It's about adapting your thinking to just different ways of saying things. Yeah. And
0: also words have power. Yeah. And it, it is like approaching people with, with, you know, how do you show up in the world? That's what we're asking people when we ask about their pronouns. Mm-hmm. And then when we appropriate use, the, use them, it's us acknowledging their existence and their place and their space in the world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like going back to me talking about everybody's talking about how they're so ADHD, you know, it words have power. And I always remind people, I'm like, maybe it's not ADHD because that's a medical diagnosis. Maybe you're just like inattentive or you're yeah. having some trouble Stattered. concentrating
2: mm-hmm. or,
0: you know, you've got so many thoughts in your head. And I remind them, I'm like, there's a lot of things that can do that to you. Anxiety is a huge one. that can mimic so many. And so that's a, you know, again, like sometimes it's about narrowing down our labels when we're like, oh my gosh, that fits. But sometimes it's also like broadening those labels and realizing the words we use are important.
1: Mm -hmm. And how to better take care of ourselves and to be really intentional about who we're letting into our space, whether that is a relationship with a provider or somebody who you'll never meet who's creating something that is poised to help you. It's just recognizing who you are, what you need, and who you're going to trust with that. That's perfect.
0: I don't think I can say any better than that. Well, Kate, it's so good to sit down with you for the last half hour and just chitty chat and mostly just catch up, honestly, and have a talk about a really great conversation. Yeah. If you're interested in hearing more from Kate, maybe you got a little, like, side business that you're thinking, like, hey, Kate might be a person to really help me find the words. You know, just get a hold of her. I think your email is still Kate at KateHollis.co. It is. Yep. Okay. We'll put that into show notes for everybody and all the other places. What, what do you want people after they've listened to our conversation to go away with and maybe do something with?
1: I want them to leave with an invitation to recognize their own needs and to know that like as a consumer, as a patient or as a physician that, you know, you have full control and agency over how you decide to show up in the world. And taking an honest look at how your needs might be, quote, different than what the world tells you they, quote, should be. And that not only is that okay, that it's a good thing, and knowing that there are resources and supports out there to identify what those are and to help you live your best life. Hells yes. Well, friend,
0: you know, the badass in me honors the badass in you. I got you, babe. friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that Slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails But you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come. And we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make theorists the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. It's kind of fun talking to somebody outside of our general medical circle, but yet finding so many similarities and goodness with it all. So if you need help from Kate, if you just want to have a great conversation, if you want to join us in our book writing, <laughs> reach out to her. She's an absolutely amazing person. And I just have to remind you that you are too. You are absolutely amazing and that your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you friend. Check.